Welcome to another episode of Pulp Nonfiction, the Paper and Packaging Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Johnson, with Sustana Fiber. Our guest today is Dr. Claire Sand, the CEO of Packaging Technology and Research, a food packaging science consultancy in Minneapolis. When she's not busy collaborating on commercialization ventures involving sustainable packaging, food formulation, and food waste mitigation matters with brands including Nestle, Kraft, and General Mills, Claire serves as an adjunct professor at both Michigan State University, her alma mater, and Cal Poly. In addition, Claire is a contributing editor to Food Technology, a monthly magazine published by the Institute of Food Technologists in Chicago, as well as a monthly columnist at Packaging Digest. During today's podcast, we'll chat with Claire about the latest news in the food and beverage world, as well as talk about some critical environmental challenges that smart packaging is helping to solve. Joining us for our discussion today is my co-host, Dr. Marta Pazos. Now let's introduce our guest, Dr. Claire Sand. Hi, Greg. Hi, Marta. I really appreciate being on this podcast. Pulp Nonfiction is not only an amazing title, but it's also a super fun podcast. So thank you for having me on. It's an honor. Claire, back in uh, September 2021, eight of North America's most popular quick-serve restaurants, including Cava, McDonald's, Panera Bread, and Taco Bell, all agreed to eliminate PFAS, the so-called forever chemicals that have been linked to serious health concerns like cancer, from their packaging by 2025. What's the latest you've been seeing in the marketplace in terms of the packaging industry as far as what they're doing to eliminate this persistent problem? Well, the number one thing that packaging companies are doing is taking it seriously. Um, the fact that you even have this question means that it's a serious concern in our industry. So suppliers, brands, retailers, post-consumer uh, hand package handlers are really focused together on addressing this, really tackling PFAS and mitigating and packaging. And this is really doing something positive for our industry. It's shaping the industry to be more transparent and aligning with a lot of food safety issues that also need track and trace. The second thing we're doing is really addressing the conundrum between intentionally added substances and non-intentionally added substances being, and that's that whole mm, issue is really being abandoned. It's kind of an origin agnostic approach, and it's based on the fact that it doesn't matter if PFAS is intentionally added or non-intentionally added, it still is harmful to the environment and, of course, harmful uh, in our food packaging systems. So, Claire, um, I am a polymer scientist, so I understand very well PFAS and all those other compounds that you mentioned, but we shouldn't expect that our listeners are going to know all about that, right? So can you tell us what those compounds are for and why are they being put in packaging in the first place? And also take us through what it is that companies are doing to eliminate those and find the right alternatives. Yep, sure. Well, the sad thing is a lot of people think of packaging as evil. Uh, we don't, right? We're, we're like super packaging fans. We see packaging as the savior of anything else. 
Um, but if you just take a step back and say, well, we don't put something in packaging that uh, isn't needed. Uh, and one of the neat opportunities I see is changing from like a calcium carbonate based filler, which requires an alkaline pH coating. And we can shift that if we shift to, uh, we could, we can open up a lot more opportunities, I guess you could say for coating, different coatings. If we shift to a different filler, that's more aligned with acidic coatings. And so we're doing a lot of innovation in the industry and things are moving forward very, very rapidly. And Claire, in, in your estimation, would you, would you say that most um, brands today from what you've seen in all your consulting work, do you, are they pretty receptive to, to banning PFAS from their packaging? Well, yes, in a word, right? But it's complicated, right? Uh, I mean, we know that, that we have PFAS in water right and so i think i think the industry is receptive to definitely you know mitigating or reducing pfas to a level where it's toxicologically an issue right uh we may not be able to get to zero i think that there is a lot of work to be done in that sense and we we uh, as, as as human beings from more developed countries, we just start realizing that taking the problem elsewhere is not going to solve it. It's just going to um, push the can down the road and, and pollution. I always say this when I have the opportunity, pollution knows no borders. Well, I love that saying, first of all, Marta. Uh, you know, a lot of people forget the world spins, you know, but, uh, you know, when we have um, things in the atmosphere, and, uh, you know, we, we eventually, uh, you know, get those, get those uh, pollutants and, and things like that in our air, even if they happened on the other side of the world and vice versa. And the same thing is true with water. Uh, you know, we, we look at uh, ocean, ocean pollution and uh, ocean, the pollution may only come from about, you know, 10 or 11 rivers, but, you know, we all are surrounded by the same ocean on this wonderful planet. So I also think you brought up an amazing point that we have focused on when uh, we, we've had a lack of focus, I guess you could say, on what we call the global south and other regions that are not as fortunate. They frankly have too much going on. They're just trying to get food on the table. Um, that's, that's often the case in, in areas of the U.S. So we can't expect these people to recycle. We, we can't because they, they have a higher, higher order of things to be done. Likewise, with PFAS, we have an, a responsibility in the industry because they don't have time. Uh, it's our responsibility to make packaging as safe as possible uh, for the entire population, not just for the population that can afford the removal of PFAS. Uh, we, we owe that uh, to everybody. Earlier this year, uh, a professor, Siegfried uh, Waldvogel in uh, Johannes Gutenberg University, in Mans, Germany, um, developed um, a new sustainable method of extracting vanillin, the main component in vanilla extract, from craft lignin, the woody waste tissue from trees removed during the paper pulping process. Do you think that uh, this development will be a commercial success? And are you also aware of any other similar sustainable flavoring innovations like this? 
I do think it'll be a success. Uh, it makes a whole lot of sense, right? 90% of LinkedIn is actually from the mills, not from, from other sources. So it makes sense to use LinkedIn from that source. And so, uh, yes, I do think it will be very successful. I don't know of any other flavors, but I can tell you that I'm not the only one uh, to think that we're on the cusp of a, sort of a cellulosic lignin revolution. Uh, we're starting to find other other ways of using cellulose. Uh, we're also connecting that uh, with lignin as a byproduct of, of paper production. So I think we can move beyond lignin uh, as a fuel source, and we can really use it in a lot of the uh, packaging that we need, uh, like for adhesives and things like that, but, but also in other applications such as flavor that you mentioned. Claire, we wanted to ask you about your thoughts on food waste. Um, although we've seen some encouraging efforts, uh, thanks in part to companies like Imperfect Foods and Misfit Markets, it still seems like there's a lot of work to be done. Um, what are you seeing in terms of packaging um, innovations that, that's in the marketplace right now or in developmental work to reduce this seemingly persistent problem? Yeah, so um, I'm passionate about preventing food waste with packaging solutions. So that's where I got into packaging back in the 1980s. Kind of went out of fashion, uh, as did environmental, uh, a lot of environmental issues, but now it's back. And that's super exciting for people like me. From a brand perspective, I think we need to do a better job. Uh, and from a packaging perspective, we can definitely do a better job. I think the brands that are, that are doing it well uh, are, are going to be successful. The other big innovation is really aligning packaging with some food processing innovation. So we do need to process food. Uh, in order to preserve the, the nutrients, and the textures, and things like that. But we're seeing processing move forward rapidly, and we're seeing packaging needing to pay, pay, play catch-up, right? So uh, there's cool research being done by the USDA on plasma. So package something in plasma, and then or package something, a package of food, and then zap it with plasma and kind of activate uh, the, the energy in the air around the, the package. And hence, in the headspace to, to sterilize and, and make the product more safe. Um, so packaging innovations need to happen. So we're kind of playing catch up in a lot of ways uh, behind the, the food industry, behind the food processing industry, but we're, we're, we're catching up. On the topic of food waste, we need to really do better job educating consumers. Yeah. So, you know, when I hear about super cool packages and or packaging in general and advances in, in that front, in spite of hearing, yes, there's progress in the right direction when it comes up to keeping foods fresh and minimizing food waste in turn, right? But what about how does that affect to the pack the packaging itself in terms of uh, does it take more material? Does it take more energy to make it? Uh, does it now transform from a potentially recyclable packaging to one that is not or reusable, right? I'm not a huge fan of recyclability of packaging unless it's paper, to be honest with you, because I've seen a little too much about it, including glass, right? I don't think, I, I think that actually glass is one of those that will work more as reusable than recyclable. But so many times we solve a problem and create a new one or 
maybe even multiple ones, right? And PFAS is a perfect example. It was a, it was a solution to a problem and created a lot more. But um, so how do you see that with this super cool package? Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, I think that's a really good point, actually. Um, we need to balance food waste uh, and the, the overall need to prevent food waste with packaging. And things like recycling and, and things like that. Um, and I and I work with brands to be able to communicate with retailers, on, for example, in reaction to their sustainable packaging initiatives. Well, hey, we use this packaging so we can prevent food waste. And then we're also doing it to, um, you know, just have more sustainable packaging and reduce the, the total environmental damage. I think we're getting there. We've seen little steps along the way. I think in the UK, maybe 10 years ago, they had a, sort of a CO2 measurement on the side of uh, containers, which included the bottle uh, and the actual uh, content. Uh, I'd love to see that on containers. Uh, and um, we're, we're moving very much, in my opinion, too slowly, linking more sustainable packaging food waste. Do you know, you mentioned earlier, consumers waste a lot of the the food, obviously, when it's rotting in the back of our fridge or whatever. But I have read, and and I know you both know that um, a lot of uh, food experts have said that um, the labeling of uh, the best buy dates, the expiration dates and whatnot, really is also a big contributor to food waste. And um, a lot of people, when they see that date on there, um, if it reaches that date and it's still on their fridge or on their um, pantry, they they throw out the product. So, yeah, um, you know, in a lot of cases, that's a food safety issue. Uh, it's the when in doubt, throw it out. You know, nobody wants food poisoning. We definitely don't want that. But it is absolutely insane. I think. I mean, I I know a lot about food science and I know a lot about packaging. Um, and it's very odd to me that you know I had yogurt this morning for breakfast and. I, I didn't bought it. Uh, the best before, before date only applied to when the yogurt was unopened. I didn't know when I opened it. Uh, and I didn't know if it was still good or not. I just took the risk um, for just kind of empty. So I ate it. So, you know, if you're looking at something in your fridge, in Craig and Marta, and it's in a larger size pack, um, maybe it's a salad. And uh, you thought you'd use it for a party last weekend, but as it turns out, somebody else brought a salad, so you just left it in your refrigerator. And you said, oh boy, you know, I want to use it next weekend. Well, it would have been fine if you used it last week, but wouldn't it be great if there was a sensor on there that would say, oh, nope, you got to use it by Wednesday. And you look at it and you say, well, I'm traveling this week. I'm not going to use the, the, the lettuce by, by uh, this Wednesday. So I'm going to push a little button and that button would release preservatives into the container where the salad is and the lettuce is, and it would release antimicrobials. So it would be preservatives so that it would last the extra couple of days it needs to last. This would really allow us to only use preservatives if we need to. So the preservatives wouldn't be in the salad if your guest ate it the previous week, but you would need it uh, if you wanted to eat it um, the subsequent weekend. Claire. I wanted to get your thoughts on recyclable versus reusables. Um, a lot of quick serve restaurants and food service companies are exploring the use of reusables 
And um, I, I wanted to just see what you thought, not only in terms of um, from a sanitary perspective, but also from the footprint of collecting and retrieving and then, of course, cleaning these reusables. I, I know with um, you know the advent of uh, the resurgence of drive-in, which continues, uh, carry-out, delivery services, um, a lot of the dine-in uh, that we were traditionally used to in restaurants is, is slowly but surely disappearing uh, is more, especially in the quick-serve restaurant space. Um, what do you think of reusables and, and their future? The sanitary issue is really funny, I think, because most of us have dishwashers, or at least we know how to wash dishes. Um, you know, as long as we follow safe cleaning procedures, uh, HACCP and sanitation procedures that, that we use now and have been using, I think uh, it's it's frankly not an issue uh, to, to use reusables. Um, there's there's a lot of products out there that they use really use reusables. Uh, one of them is just salad. They have reusable polypropylene bowls. Uh, the Aussie system is used in institutions like prisons, hospitals, U.S. military campuses. Uh, it's a pretty cool system. You you put a deposit on the container, and uh, you return it in, in a little vending system, and, and you get your uh, you get your money back. So it's it's pretty nice. Um, the key though, I think that you brought up is the life cycle impact. Um, and so moving things around the country, like the U S or even the globe doesn't make a lot of sense You know, empty packages. So if I get, uh, you know, a cereal box, a reusable box delivered to me, um, or pick it up at the grocery store, and then I have to ship it a long distance. Uh, for it to be refilled, it's it's pretty silly, but uh, I have reusable containers I can just bring to the store. Um, me physically bring to the store, fill them up with whatever I need, like you know, flour, um, sugar, soup mixes, some um, things like that, and uh, that makes a lot of sense. So returnables make sense environmentally if it's done in a localized manner. Another really cool example is in Oregon. I think it's about six or eight breweries all got together and they just said, hey, we're going to use the same bottles. Done. And and they can just, you know, refill the same, make, you know, use rechargeables and, and refill the same bottles. Uh, no recycling needed for the glass, just refilling. So makes sense. Claire, as, as we wrap up our discussion with you today, um, what are some of the things you do personally in your everyday life to help the environment? I think I think one of the things, you know, no, none of us wake up every morning, at least I'd like to think, and say, I'm going to do something really bad for this planet that we're, you know, on. And I'm like that too. I don't want to do something bad for the environment. But pretty much everything we do uh, is has an effect on the environment. So if we just are more conscious, and, and I, I try to be more conscious about, you know, what I buy. Um, Marta was talking about buying things in smaller sizes, uh, smaller package sizes. I, you know, that that makes sense. Uh, and I, yeah, so that's what I do. Um, and of course, I recycle, right? Um, but for most of us, it's easy to, to pick on ourselves 
And I think we just have to say, we're going to do what we can to make the world a better place and not harm the environment uh, as much as other choices. Well, Claire, we, we really are grateful for the time you, you spent visiting with us today. Um, it's been a, a really enlightening discussion. Uh, I feel like I took a chemistry class with uh, our PIFAs uh, talk, and um, we wish you continued success. Well, thank you. Um, I really enjoyed the podcast, and thank you, Marga. I uh, enjoyed meeting you, meeting you and uh, great discussion. Thank you. thank you. Thanks again, Claire. Thank you for tuning in today, and we hope you'll join us again for our next episode of Pulp Nonfiction the Paper and Packaging Podcast. In the meantime, please be sure to visit sustainafiber.com for more information on our recycled fiber products for your sustainable paper and packaging needs. Thanks again. Remember to recycle, and we'll see you again soon.